It's one of the to me in existing in life. And I guess one of the things uh, I've noticed in evolution and preach different things. Uh, there are things and ways I preached when I was 32 that are different than now when I'm reaching 72. Uh, there, there were ways uh, Pastor Gabriel preached when he was 22 that he doesn't preach now at 42. So uh, it doesn't change the Word of God, but time and experience gives you at least a different look at what you preach and what you're thinking about. And 1 Samuel chapter 30 is one of those. This is one of the great uh, life stories of David. And just to give you a heads up on this, David is not the prototype of Christ, but he is out of the root of Jesse also. And his lifestyle after Melchizedek, in a sense, was similar to what Jesus would adopt and even would fall on you. Because David operated as a king. He would also take off the crown and put on the ephod of a priest. And then he also wrote prophetic word in the Psalms. So he was a prophet, priest, and a king. We know that Jesus served as, serves as our prophet, priest, and king. And even the Bible says in Revelation 1, 5, and 6, it says we've been made kings and priests unto God. And we're prophetic by the word of God that's in us. So it's just that idea of similarity. And I think the other thing about David is I like that he's just a regular guy. He has the same issues, same problems, same circumstances that we do, but is able to find a place in God to bail him out. And one of the things that, that, that he had was a really bad day. And that's what we want to deal with today. Now, I've got some helpers that are going to help me. We're going to be reading for 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but we're going to read uh, several verses out of this about David and his uh, men. These are his mighty men, his 600 men. So we want to read some of this for you and set the stage. Now, I've got some helpers up here. They're going to pick up the slack for me. I'm going to read a couple verses, and then I'm going to let uh, Amelie read uh, a few verses. Now, she will be reading in Afrikaan. And it'll be on the screen in Afrikaan. So y'all going to have to catch up here in Alabama. Uh, I just thought it would be a good experience for us, and I'll go back and read it in trustful so y'all get it and put it, put it in something you can understand. We'll get, we'll get it in Alabama, but I wanted to her to read that because I think sometimes we forget that the gospel is worldwide. It influences cultures all over the world. And I, I think we miss that sitting up in here in Trustful, that there are other cultures that are dynamic as well as where we are today. So Amelie is going to help me with that. So let's start. First Samuel chapter 30, everybody ready? Oh, uh, I will be kind today for those of you all that are in the no rep small group. Uh, I'll be as kind to the boys as I can be. Um, and also uh, to those at the gym that think I'm prickly there, I'll, I will be nice to you here, Mary in particular. Now, now when Dave, I, I'm going to tell you one more thing. I just, I really feel like I'm getting graded today. When I saw Mary, she said, well, I heard you are preaching, so I came and I thought, heck, man, you came here to grade me. I'm, I'm, tomorrow at the gym, I'm going to hear this. So, so here we go. And now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziglag. Just right here. They were living in Ziglag. Ziglag is in southern Judea. David is running from Saul at this time. He has 600 men with him. Say mighty men. Okay, the mighty men. They're the ones that, that did all this great fighting and, and killed giants. So the mighty men are with him. He is working for a king called Achish who is from Gath, 
that's where he like killed Goliath. But he's working for this king and what he's doing, he says, I'm going on a raid against the Jews and he would go on a raid against a Philistine village, but the king didn't know it. And so he was working both sides of this thing and he's working for the king. Well, he's at, he's at, at a place called Aphek with the king and they're about to fight some Israelites and the king's men said, we don't want David fighting. Because we'll get against these Israelites. This joker will shoot us in the back. So we, we, we don't want him here. So they were really unsure about David fighting against his own people. So they said, you go back to home. So he's going to Ziglag to catch up on the story. They had over, they had, uh, so the Amalekites, where was I? And so David and his men came back to Ziglag on the third day. The Amalekites had made a raid. The Amalekites made a raid in the Negev against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag. Now listen to what happened. They burned it with fire. They had taken captive. They kidnapped the women and the kids, everyone there, uh, who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and they went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voice. And I want you to remember some of these words. And they wept until they had no more strength to weep. Verse 5. And David's two wives. David wasn't smart. He's a good king. He's rotten on marriage, obviously. I mean, living with one woman, but two. Really, he had three because he had Michael. This is Abigail and Ahinoam. But he had Michael. She was a case in herself. So David had two wives, also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And, and I'm going to stop here because I'm going to have Amalek come and read the next three verses for us. You better be careful talking about wives. She's right there. Are you ready? David did no boy moeilijkheid gehad. Sy manne was boy uitje oor hulle kinders. Hulle het selfs so ver gegaan om te wonder of hulle nie vir David met klippe moest doodgooi nie. Daarom het David vir God gevraag om hom te help en dat het hom weer moet gegeen. Hy het ook vir die Heere gevraag of hy hierdie spoelboewe moest gaan straf. Die Heere sê toe vir hom dat hy dit moest gaan doen. You need to give her a hand for that. Here. Here. I promise you. Well, so I asked Amelie, I said, would you read this for me? And she said, yeah, for 10 bucks. <laughs> so I gave her 20 just to get her off my back. I didn't want to creeping around. So let me read this for you. Let me read this for you in English if you don't mind. I'll just catch you up on what she just read. And David was greatly distressed, you reckon? For the people spoke of stoning him. So get the picture. They're already, he's already lost family, lost finances, and lost his home. And stop right here and just let you get that picture. What if you were to have been on a trip or you had gone to work and you came home and your house is burned to the ground, your family has been kidnapped, the FBI says someone took them, and then you find out that someone got your information and took all of your money so you're broke you can't get your money back your family's kidnapped and you've lost everything this is where David and his men were 
And he's distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. Bad got worse because all the people were bitter in soul. You need to remember this, uh, this word bitter. Bitter in soul for each of the sons and daughters, for each of his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Remember that one. And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod, bring me the priestly garment that they wore when they were going to go before the Lord. So Abathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and surely rescue. So I'm going to stop here and let Colt come and he's going to read the end of the story beginning at verse 18 through 20. David recovered all the Amalekites had taken and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds. And the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Uh, here. I just wanted these guys up here on the platform because someday they're going to be up here doing this anyway, right? I mean, that's what we have another generation for. But what a great word from both of these kids. The other thing is, that's a word that's going to be inside of them for a long time, maybe till Jesus comes. I want to look at this story and give you at least five things you need to do on the worst day of your life. How many's ever had a bad day? Okay, wait, wait, wait. Really? How many of y'all really, you ever had a bad day? I mean, it could have been a dog that was lost, but it could have been a, a, a spouse. It could have been a divorce. It could have been a financial dilemma. It could have been a bad decision that cost you an awful lot. But we've had bad days. And I'm just going to help you right now. I know you don't want to hear this, but everybody is going to have a bad day someday. Now, I'm supposed to be helping you and giving you words of faith, and that's what I want to do. But I've got to tell you what the Bible also says, that in this world, John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So the Lord says this, such as Gabriel said earlier, he knows what's going on, and he's going to be with you, but it's going to happen. There are going to be some bad days. I wish that I could preach you one of those messages that... That if you'll serve Jesus and you'll pray every day and you'll fast and you'll read your word and you'll give to the building fund and, and it's going to just make you, well, you'll never have a problem. That'd be a lie. God says you're going to have problems. You've got a God that according to scripture was acquainted with grief and sorrow. I like what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. Dieter Bonhoeffer was in prison by the Nazis in 1943 because he spoke out against Hitler and against his regime, against the killing of the Jews. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Methodist. He founded a church called the Confessing Church. Well, there's your good name. The Confessing Church. He was hung in 1945. But while he was in prison, he wrote The Cost of Discipleship. It's a great read for some of you that want something a little, a little bit theological from someone that might be in an era of time that you could understand. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote The Cost of Discipleship. And one of the things he says is, he says, only the suffering God can help you. Only the suffering God can help you. Now, I'm going to set a table for you because some of y'all are looking at me like, well, God doesn't suffer. You know, it's interesting to me that Jesus, according to Scripture, was tempted in every way like we are. It's interesting to me that in the Scripture, the Word of God says that Jesus is not a high priest that is not touched by the feelings of our infirmities. So let me just stop and say something to you. Jesus was all God and He was all human. He was fully God and fully human. Now, we don't know how to explain that. We like half God and half human. 
He was a little bit human, a little bit God. No, no, no. He was all God. How God understands our feelings of suffering is through Jesus. Helping you with the Trinity. So we've got this issue that God knows we're going to suffer. We've got a Lord that suffered with us. So I just want to keep you in mind of this right now. The Bible says in this world, in John 16, 20, you will lament and you will weep. Say, I will weep. Yeah, there's coming a day when you'll cry. There are people that have never cried before, but there's always a something that's going to get a hold of you. There's always something that's going to get a hold of you. But here's what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. It says, don't grieve as the world. Let me, let me stop and rephrase this for you. It doesn't say you're not going to grieve. It says don't grieve like the world who has no hope. It means I am going to grieve. How many of you know you got to grieve? Okay, hands down. How many of y'all have ever been to any kind of psychological help? Anybody give you any counseling? Anybody try to help you through hard times? And they would tell you, you've got to go through grieving. We kind of came through this faith issue in the church where we told people, you don't ever grieve. You're never going to be sad. You always put on a smile. And I just hated to be around people that were in the middle of a struggle. And I say, how you doing? And they would say, uh, blessed and highly favored of the Lord. I say, what? I mean, your spouse just died and your response is I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. How about my heart's broken? How about I'm in a bad situation here? How about I just lost a family member? How about my finances are gone? How about I don't know how I'm going to face tomorrow? Let me help you right now. Grief is a part and it is in the kingdom of God and it's a part of your recovery so you won't become bitter. So let's deal with a few things real quickly here. And I know for some of you all that are just such deep faith people, I I, I know you're not going to like it, but you know, grow up. So we've got David in the first three verses. He's with his 600 mighty men. The 600 mighty men were the ones that were, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 22, the Bible says he met these boys when he was living in the cave of Adullam by himself. And these guys started coming by and he started talking to them. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 22, 1 and 2, it says these 600 men that became mighty men of valor were in debt, in distress, and discontent until they got around David. They were losers. They couldn't win at anything. The Bible says they were in debt, they were in distress, and they were discontent until they hung out with David. And David got to talking to these boys and telling them about the Lord his God and talking about the victory they could have and told them about Goliath and showed them the sword. And just, they all got excited with him and they believed what he said and they became the mighty men of valor. And you can read about them in, in First and Second Samuel. You can read about their exploits and what all they did. They killed all the giants. I mean, these guys were great warriors. These are the boys that were with them. The problem we have, they're going home. They'd left their family. They're on a three-day journey from Aphek to Ziglag. And on the way, before they get there, they looked and they saw smoke coming up. Now, we got firemen in the room right now. They've seen some bad days. But this smoke is coming up, so they relate right away to what was in the heart of those people when they saw that smoke. These boys got anxious right then because now they see their town burning. The Bible says when they got there, everything was on fire. So here are the three things that happened. Their homes are burned to the ground. Their flocks, which is their finances, their flocks and sheep are taken. And their kid, kids and families, their, mom, their wives and their kids are kidnapped. So they got three things wrong. They've got 
the loss of their home. They've got the loss of their finances. They've got the loss of their family. And I'm going to stop right here and say this. In church, we will kind of preach right past this, that we have people every week sitting in our church services, and many of them have a financial issue they're dealing with. They're trying to figure it out right now. They didn't know how much. It wouldn't matter how much they're going to get of the building fund. It's what they're going to do for food next week. They just went to the store and had to pay $150 for a half a half a basket full of groceries, and they're wondering, what am I going to do next? And they're check-to-check living. So I'm just saying right now, there are people who have financial issues, and they deal with it on a weekly, daily basis, and we need to know how to navigate that. There are other people that have lost their family. They may have lost their family, and it may not have been because they died. It could have been through a divorce. could have been through some other kind of separation. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are people that come in here, and they're hurting. They don't know how to deal with that. Some people get bitter. So we want to deal with how can we move through this. One of the things the Bible says that they did, and if you look at this in verse number four, and we'll just pick out a few verses. I'm going to give you these five thoughts. And here's one of them right here. I think I've got time for five thoughts. Josh said I had time for five thoughts. He said Gabriel preached way too long last week. That's what Josh said. So here's what he said. Listen, listen. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices. And listen to what they did. They wept until they had no more strength to weep. That means they cried until they had no more tears. I think sometimes in church we miss that of telling people when they're crying. And we get around and don't cry because the Lord's with you. Hey, dude. Cry till you can't cry anymore. The Bible says in the New Testament, it says if someone's laughing, laugh with them. But if they're weeping, weep with them. And I think we have a little problem with knowing how to weep with someone or feel their brokenness. I thank God that Jesus, according to Isaiah 53, 3, the Bible said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He didn't pull away because you had a bad day. So one of the things you need to learn to do if you have a bad day is to cry. Now, some of you guys feel like, well, crying is a weakness, you know, and I'm just going to be a man of faith. Let me give you a few thoughts about that. We live by faith, but we don't fake it. We don't fake it. We don't act like nothing's wrong. We don't live by faith without having feelings. If you're a man or a woman of faith, you still have emotion. You still have the capacity to have emotion. Whether that's happiness or whether that's sadness, emotion is a part of the human experience. How many of you know you are human? How many of you know God put emotion in you? We look at people and say, well, they're very emotional. Some of them need to get control of their emotion, probably. But all of us are built with emotion. People of faith are not people that are immune to emotion. And faith is not denying that I'm feeling bad. I think sometimes we've thought, if I say I don't feel good about this, then I'm using a lack of faith. I need to come up with some faith words. What you need to come up with is some faith friends. This is one of the things that I've enjoyed about small group. This no-rep crew that, that we deal with is, has a thread of, of uh, text that if I looked on my phone right now, it's, it's this long. It's, just, it, it's ridiculously stupid that they just keep, keep talking and keep throwing on a text. And Andrew got to crying about them because there were over 50 of them at one time. And, and, and I look at that and I think, what a great group of guys. And what a great group of guys to help. And on a Saturday morning, if I had a bad day, it's a great place to go to have some friends. If I didn't feel good, there's some other people that can understand where I am. So we got this Jesus that's holy man and he's holy God. He's touched with the infirmities of his people. As a matter of fact, we don't read this often, but the shortest verse in the Bible is John eleven thirty five. What is it? Two words. Jesus wept. 
We, we've had that explained away by almost anybody that didn't want to see Jesus upset. But the Bible says Jesus wept. And I still believe he does today. I know you don't get that. And you're saying, no, he's in heaven. He wouldn't weep. He's in heaven and still has scars. I mean, he's still Jesus. And the Bible says there's coming a day when he's going to wipe away all of our tears. One of the last things that happens according to the kingdom and the book of Revelation is tears get wiped away. And I'm going to tell you right now, I believe that Jesus had tears, although he knew the answer because he loved people. And he was a person of emotion. The song, Away in the Manger. How many of y'all know that one? Away in the manger, no crib for bed. Little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The cattle are lowing. The poor babe awakes. But little Lord Jesus. Really? That is so unscriptural. The dude that wrote this was not writing Bible for you. And we read that and we sing that and we think, oh, no, little Jesus didn't cry. Look, I'm not going to say it that way. <laughs> he dirtied his pants. He cried. He got hurt as a kid. He was all human. If something happened to his mom or dad, he could weep. If something happened to his best friend, like dying, the Bible said he wept. He knew he was going to resurrect him. He knew he was coming. Oh, come on, y'all. He knew Lazarus was coming out of the grave. He knew he would call him out. He's God. He knew what he was doing. And yet his heart was broken. That was for us to understand that Jesus is not without emotion and knows how to deal with us that are full of emotion. So when you're going through a bad time, don't hide it. Don't fake it. Own it. And then allow Jesus to come and move you through this. So number one is weep until you can weep no more. Number two, don't get bitter. Don't get bitter. Now, here's the word on that. It's in the, in the same verse, verse number four. And it says, and David and the people that raised up their voice and they wept, had no more strength left. Oh, let me see. Is that in verse six then? And it says, and David was greatly distressed. For the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul. So let me just stop right here and say this. Don't get bitter because you're having a bad day. Don't get bitter because someone died. Don't get bitter because you lost your finances. Don't get bitter because you lost the sale. Don't allow your emotion of being hurt and weeping turn into bitterness. I, I, I know I'm going to get out on a limb right here and get in trouble with it. But I'm only preaching now and I may not get to again. So let me say it while I'm here. You that have gone through divorces or going through a divorce, I'm going to tell you right now, one of your biggest enemies is going to be bitterness. Oh yeah, you're hurting and we weep with you. Everybody's hurt. But if you turn bitter, if you let your emotion of sorrow turn to bitterness, listen to what's going to happen. You will blame somebody. You don't have to amen me. Because others of you all that got fired from a job or you, whatever, you lost a job or something happened. And the first thing we do when we're sad, if we allow bitterness to come in and the root of bitterness, which the Bible says has all kinds of evil with it. If a root of bitterness gets in you, one of the first human aspects for us is to blame somebody. It's their fault. How many knows that David was the leader and the city was burned down? David had nothing to do with that. 
David wasn't there. It was Saul that didn't kill all the Amalekites and the Amalekites raided the city. It had nothing to do with David. But yet as a leader, he was the target of bitterness. Now that'll help some of you leaders in the room. (laughs) You're automatically the target. And the difference between a leader and a manager is a manager can't get up from it, but a leader will encourage himself. Good managers can have a crew with them and they'll do something different. A good leader may be the only one, but can encourage himself. We'll hit that in just a second. But let me say this to you. Don't get bitter because bitterness will cause you to blame someone. And listen to me. Blaming someone for just a moment feels good. It, listen, it really does. If, you, if, you're, if you're hurt and you're emotional and you're sad and you've lost and you get bitter and you blame them for just that moment, it's like you feel better. It, it's an opioid. It's a, it's a psychological opioid. When you can blame them, you feel better for just a minute. And when you feel better, then the next time you get blue, you can blame them again and you feel better again. And I think you get the idea, if it's an opioid, it becomes a habit. You don't have to raise your hand on this one because you may be sitting next to them. But you may know someone that every time you talk to them, they're always talking about what happened. They're always talking about how bad that was and how bad they were and what went on. Can I tell you about bitterness? When you blame someone else or bitterness sets up in you, it attaches you to the failure and the problem. And you live in that forever. So I'm going to tell you right now, you can be sad and you can be emotional, but you don't have to be bitter. You do not have to be bitter. Say, I won't get bitter. So we don't want to get bitter. We want to have passion. We want to be able to, to express ourselves in sorrow, but we don't want to be bitter. The root of bitterness will ruin. Listen to what it will ruin. It will ruin your health. Bitterness can ruin your mind. It can ruin your emotions. It can ruin your relationships and your finances. Mary and I were talking. Uh, Mary, Maybe it's Mary and I are Mary. Me and someone else at the gym were talking the other day and there was a situation that dealt with individuals and we just didn't want to be there. We just decided we'd have our meeting by ourselves for a minute. This is because we knew that the complications in the lives of the people were not something we wanted to hear because we've heard this thing a dozen times. And after a while you're thinking, I can't help anymore. So I'm helping you right now more than you're amen in me. And that is, if you're bitter, you need to let it go. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. You need to forgive according to Scripture. Colossians 3, 12, and 13 says, I need to learn to bear one another's burdens. That's what we do together. That's what our no-rep small group does. Bear one another's burdens. And forgiving one another. And forgiving one another. Listen to me one more time. You being bitter ties you to your loss, death, and the past. Don't be bitter. Make sense to you? Okay, so David had the same problem they did. The problem was they got bitter. Now they're wanting to kill him, and he's really in trouble. So David, according to verse number 6, it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke a stone in him, and they're out to kill him, and each one for his sons and daughters. But listen to this. But David strengthened himself. So here's your third point. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. One of the reasons he strengthened himself, because there wasn't anybody else to help him. I'm so thankful to be in this house, in this church, that I know if I've got an issue, there's people here that I can go to and say, pray for me. I just need some help. I don't have to explain to you what the problem is. I don't have to blame anybody. I can just come and tell you I'm really sorrowful right now. I'm really full of sorrow. I really need prayer. And it doesn't matter what caused it. 
It matters that someone will pray with me. Does that make sense to you? So let's look at a verse of scripture that I think David did because he had just lost these mighty men of valor. Listen, he lost these guys that were losers that he, through his testimony, brought them in to be mighty men. It's these guys. You would never think they'd be against him. That's what bitterness can do to you. People you thought you'd love forever. But bitterness can cause some problems. Making sense to you yet? Listen to what David did, and I love this. This is in Psalms 34, 1 through 4. Psalms 34, 1 through 4. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord, and the humble will hear it, and they'll be glad. Now listen to this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I'm just going to stop right here on this. Magnify the Lord with me. Now, let me say this about God. First of all, we're going to encourage ourselves in the Lord. So how do I do it? We magnify God. If I can make God bigger, the problem becomes smaller. Back up and say it this way. You can't make God bigger. He's already all the omnis. Right? He's omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. I mean, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's all everything. We can't make him. You can't make God bigger. So let me ask you this. When you look through a magnifying glass at an object, like some of y'all trying to read, and you're looking through your magnifying glass, do those letters get bigger or are they perceived bigger? Perceive bigger. If you look through a microscope then, and you're looking at uh, maybe some kind of amoeba or germ or something that's on the plate, and you're looking at it, when you see it, and you can see it up close, is it bigger or is it the same size? In reality, it hasn't moved. How many of y'all know that you can block the sun out with a dime? It just depends on your perception. I can block the sun out with a dime. I can make the sun smaller than the dime if I can put the dime in the right perspective. If I can put God where He's supposed to be concerning this issue, then I can blot that thing out. I, oh, no, you see what I'm saying? In reality, nothing changed, but something changed inside of me because I've encouraged myself that God is bigger than this. He is greater than this. All he has is bigger than what I'm against right now, and he's the one that can help me out of this. So I'm just saying, we've got to make bigger, we've got to make God bigger if the problems are going to get smaller. Now, I'll say it this way. They may not get smaller in reality, but they're going to be smaller in my battle for bitterness to leave. For me to get over my place of sorrow. I believe you need to have a time of sorrow and grief. But grief is not the last word. Grief is not the last thing of your life. I like what James says. He says, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. I'm thinking, how ridiculous is that? I'm going to count it joy. But then I begin to look at the word count. And it's hageomeo. And it means that I will exercise authority over this issue. In other words, it may not be a joy. But I'm going to give joy authority over that. I'm putting joy in authority. I still have that. But I'm putting joy. So he said, I count it joy when I've got tribulation. The tribulation is still there. I want it to go. I want God to show up. I need His help. But until then, I demand joy. I command it. I have authority here. So 
That's one of the things you do. You've got to, you've got to uh, encourage yourself in the Lord. Now, number four, get a word from God. Get a word from God. This is kind of a hard one uh, because getting a word from God, we try to make it way too spooky and ethereal and nebulous and ghostly trying to get a word from God. Listen, God can give you a word in a moment. It doesn't have to be a chapter out of the Bible. It could be when you're laying in your bed and just the peace of God comes over you and just a word, just a a word from God about it's going to be okay. Or you don't see an answer and the Lord says, I've got it under control. I mean, you you may not have a verse for it. Now, I think you do need to search the scripture. I believe that's what David did. He went to God and we we do think that he, he, he read Psalm 34. We think he gave that back up. He had written it two years earlier. We think he brought that back up. But here's what David would do. If David was going into battle, he would get Joab, his general, to help him with a word of victory. So he'd call Joab for battles. If he needed a word from God, he called Abathar, who was the priest. Look at verses 7 and 8. It says it this way. And David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Ahimah. He's the only priest that was left living after Saul had Doeg to kill all the priests. Abathar is the only one living of the priesthood, of the lineage. And he's with David. And it says, bring me, here's what David says, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. Now, I will stop here and say this about him inquiring of the Lord. He called for the ephod. This is not the first time David's put on the ephod. The ephod was a priestly garment. It was twofold. Number one, it was a garment that was put over your other clothing to keep the blood from getting on you. And the other thing about an ephod, many of them, the high priest ephod, also had the shield on the front of it with the 12 stones in it, with the Urim and Thurim, which are the two stones that were under it that you could pull out. And back in the day, they would get an answer from God with those two stones. And nobody knows exactly how they did it, but God would speak. So what David was doing was saying, give me a direct word from God. I don't need to know what you think. I need to know what he thinks. Now, David put on the ephod before. You remember the time when he was bringing the ark back into Jerusalem? And the Bible said he was dancing before it. And the Bible says that he got naked in front of it. And his wife, Michael, was seeing it come, seeing him come. And she degraded him and degraded him and said, look what you did in front of the women. He didn't get naked. What he did was he took off his outer garments and he put on the ephod so he could worship in the presence of God like a priest. It's a powerful thing that David did. So what he said was, he said, Abathar, give me the ephod. And he starts praying and asking God for a word. Now, quickly, I'm going to give you this because I think it's, it's a good thought, at least for me. He got a word from God. And here's what he says. And the Lord inquired, he inquired of the Lord. This is uh, uh, in the verse a little bit later. Uh, verse eight says, and inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this man? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, now listen to the answer from God. Pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. That is a powerful thought. He got a word from God. Yes, you're going to go and yes, you're going to rescue them. In reality, that was 10 words in the Hebrew. God gave him 10 10 words in a sentence. You shall go pursue and you shall recover all. So that was his words to him. 10 words is what he gave him in Hebrew. It took about five seconds to say it. Let me back up and say it another way, baby. You don't have to have Mike preaching for 30 minutes or whatever. You don't have to have me preaching for you to get a word from God. 
You can get that word right now. And it may not be 50 minutes. It may be five minutes. It could be five seconds. One of the things we, we do at the gym, and I, I know I call to that some, but uh, I, because I guess I go every day, but, but we were in these exercises on Friday, uh, this, this workout, and it was timed. So they call it a, an AMRAP, which means as many reps as possible that you're supposed to get. And I go a little bit early to my class so I can stretch and loosen up because old muscles and bones take a while. So I'm loosening up, and I'm watching the class do what they're doing, so I can kind of get an idea how to do it better. So I'm watching what they're doing, and I see these three girls, Lacey, Michael, and Sarah, and they're working as a team. And so they're rotating between these exercises. And Sophia came up to me, and she said, watch them. She said, they're trying to get a they're trying to get a PR, a personal record here. They're, they're, they, they, they did this last year. They're going to get a personal record this year. I said, what's it going to take? And she said on the last, the last set, they've got to do three, three reps more than they did in this last set to, to tie it and one more to win it. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. And, and the problem was, if y'all know what burpees are, I won't show you one right now because I'm sick of them. But it was, it was going down and doing a burpee and then jumping up where your feet go higher than a, a stupid dumbbell, just ridiculous. I mean, a, a, a kettlebell. So you had to jump up. And I'm watching Lacey. She was, I mean, amazing. She would go down and come up and jump. And one of the things that Sophia does, she'll say, she'll do this to you, I guess intimidation. But she'll say this uh, in an in a AMRAP, so you'll know. She'll say, 10 seconds left. You know, and that's when Kevin quits. When she has 10 seconds left, he's done. He walks away. But there are others of us. There are others of us that when she says 10 seconds, what goes off in your brain is, and y'all help me on this one, what goes off in your brain is, how many reps can I do in 10 seconds? And then it gets more stupid. She'll say, five seconds left. When she says that, it's just crazy because you think you're doing them as fast as you can do them. And when she says five seconds, it's like another gear goes off in your brain and says, you can't quit now. You've got to keep moving. And, and this is what I'm saying about David. David is getting a word from God. It didn't take a lot of words. It only took about five seconds, but it put him in another gear. He got a word from God. When people were ready to kill him, when everybody was discouraged, he gets a word from God and says, you're going to pursue and you're going to get it all back. And I'm thinking, what a great sermon to preach on a Sunday morning that you're in a battle and you've been grieving and you get a word from God. And he says, you're going to go and you're going to pursue all. You're going to get it all back. And boy, what a great message to preach. But I'm going to close on this thought. You got to reorient your vision and pursue. And that means I've got to go back to what I had as a problem. My problem was my sadness. My problem was bitterness. And I've got to reorient because I was ready to quit. I was ready to kill the leader. I mean, I was ready to choke down the person that said 10 seconds left. Listen to what David, what happened? And David recovered all. This is what Colt read. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his two wives. And nothing, listen to this, and nothing was missing are they small or great? Sons or daughters? Spoil or anything that had been taken? David brought back all. Also, 
David captured all the flocks, got his money back, all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. In other words, David had to move back on his ideas and vision. And then, listen to this, and then he had to preach this to the guys. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We read that and think faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God as two separate thoughts. There, there, there are other translations that tie hearing and hearing together, which means it's a multiplication of hearing. It's not just hearing it once or twice. It's the repetition of hearing it over and over again. Get up. You're going to pursue and you're going to get it all back. Get up. You're going to pursue and you're going to get it all back. Now, at 22, I would have had you stand up right now and have you clap and say, I'm going to get it back. God's with me. Nothing can keep me back. I'm getting it all back. Life experience and the Word of God and wisdom has taught me I can't promise you you'll get everything back. I can't promise you you'll get everything back. I can promise you you'll recover. I can promise you you'll recover. I'll promise you there are a lot of things you'll be able to get back. Maybe not everything. And in Isaiah 43:31, it says, But they who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They that wait. So this is what took off in my mind. For all of you young guns that say, I'm going to get it all back. I've got that kind of faith and I'm going to say, do it. I'm going to say, do it. I'm going to say, you shout it and you do it. But the Lord said there's some other folk in here today. There's some Ahinoams and Abigails and sons and daughters that are captive by the Amalekites. And they don't have a word from God. They can't reset. They don't have a parameter in them that they're going to recover all. But, but here's what I like. I believe Abigail and Hinoam said we can't defeat these Amalekites. But there's somebody coming for us. Our kids can't fight. But there's somebody that loves us and won't leave us here. Now, we may be in a dark place this morning, but there's somebody that refuses to leave you where you are. He will, He will attack hell for you and has done that. But Jesus hadn't quit fighting for you because He's in heaven. Yeah, but... I don't know if he's here right now. Well, here's the thing that David got. He got a, a rhema from God. The logos is the entire thought, the entire context. The rhema is a specific word pulled out for a moment. And here's what it's connected to to help you get it. There are two words in the Bible for time. How many know what they are? Two words. One is chronos. That's calendar time. That's clock time. That's 
That sun time, the chronos. So the Bible speaks of chronos time. It also speaks of kairos time. Kairos is not connected to your watch, baby. It's connected to the event. It's connected to a season. So can I say it this way? It doesn't matter right now that it's 1130. That's chronos. It matters that you're in the presence of God. That's kairos. That he's here with you. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. Five things. Weep till you can weep no more. Don't get bitter. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Get a word from God. Pursue and recover. So grief is there, but it's not the last word. Sorrow's there, but it's not the last emotion. The joy of the Lord is still ours. Now the Bible says, as I read in Isaiah, we need to wait on the Lord. The word wait doesn't mean I'm just sitting down saying he needs to hurry up. The word wait means I entwine myself to him. While I'm waiting, I'm saying things like God is good. There's nobody like God. I may be in hell right now, but there's a living God that's working for me. I may not see an answer, but He's coming for me. I may not understand how we got taken captive, but I know He's a God that won't leave me behind. That was the thought of the wives and the kids about David, and that's a thought that you've got to have this morning. If you don't have a good plan to get out, then you've got to believe He's coming for you.